Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. So we're going to be reading from John chapter 10, verses 11 to 18. I'm going to read a little bit more, but then it's on the screen. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks and the flock scatters. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. Thanks, Jesse. We are going through a series on the fruit of the Spirit, which, just a, which is um, a part of the teaching about how do we live out the Christian life, but also how do we show that the Spirit is in us, that the Spirit is changing us, transforming us. So the list that Jesse read out for us is the list of the fruits of the Spirit. We're up to gentleness this morning. How about I pray? And then let's dig a bit deeper on what that means. Dear Father God, we do thank you for our morning this morning, that we can get together to sing, to praise you, to to share in the burdens of those uh, around us, but also in other parts of the world. But Lord, help us now to look closer to you, to draw near to you, and that you would speak to us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1887, Lord Acton uh, made this popular statement, power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. It's true, isn't it? It's stuck around this saying, that when we see power, people with power and authority, they tend to dominate, just tend to get what they want and they tread other people down, doesn't matter who's in their road. And it's interesting that this, this has really come to light if you're a fan of the Soccer World Cup. I'm not a fan of soccer, but I am interested in the Soccer World Cup because it's equally the biggest uh, sporting event in the world. Massive event. And the way Qatar, it's in Qatar, one of the smallest countries, one of the richest countries, But with money and power, you get what you want. I'm not trying to make a comment on FIFA and corruption or anything like that. But when you look at, it is costing them, smallest country, most money in the middle of the desert, 330 billion Australian dollars to upgrade uh, what they've got, their facilities. So eight new stadiums. Yes, it's in the desert. Yes, they're going to fully air condition them. Uh, Yes, they're going to need more hotels. They didn't even have enough cities suitable to have eight stadiums. So they built a whole new city to facilitate the the running, uh, hosting this event. And with power and authority, you get what you want no matter what cost. It's said, because there's not good record keeping, 
it said out of the, um, there's over two million people have come into Qatar to build these projects, cheap labour from third and second world countries. Uh, there's estimations somewhere between two and a half thousand and six and a half thousand people have died in these building projects uh, in getting it happening. But it's all right, no Qatarians died in the process, they're all cheap labour from other countries. It's like, how did that happen? And it just affirms our cynicism, if you like. People in power and authority just get what they want. They bulldoze everybody else. It's not just talking about governments, though. It's at corporations. It's at workplace. It's all around us. We see it and we experience. And it's not hard for us to be sceptical about anyone in positions of authority because often we've been the victim. We've got the, the scars to show that we've been run over by them. It's our default position then for most of us that we don't trust authority, we're cynical against authority, or even resent people in positions of authority. This is a problem when we start talking about God. It shapes our image of God. If God is, uh, claims to be, have all power and all authority, what do we make of that if our default position is scepticism, if not resentment? Why should we trust God? Why should we willingly submit to him if that's who he is? Especially when we see the corruption. We see this play out in this institution we call the church. If you want a classic example of power and authority gone mad, it's the history of the church. If the church re represents what God is like, that he's far from gentle, that he's harsh and uncaring, well, why do I want to be a part of that? If that's what God is like, leave him alone. This is a problem for us in how we understand God. So this morning we do want to drill down on gentleness. Gentleness. Is God gentle? We're going to ask uh, in three different, we're going to have three different parts to this this morning. Gentleness and the confusion around gentleness. Uh, gentleness and the beauty of gentleness. Uh, and the challenge of gentleness. So I've broken up into three parts and pulling this, uh, this uh, trying to get our head around it. So, uh, first of all, we're going back to, to the history through how God is revealing himself, not just through Jesus, but back a bit further than that, in the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, where God talks about himself, he often describes himself as a shepherd. Now, for us, when I think of a shepherd, because I grew up on a farm all those years ago, we had a few sheep for a little while, uh, I don't think shepherding is that great. Our sheep were pretty dumb, they kept on getting out, they went where you didn't want and didn't want, yeah, anyway. They, they looked nice and cuddly, you wanted to cuddle them, they kicked you and they bit you. Like, they're just not nice. So I think, why be a shepherd? That's right, they went, to she uh, they went to sheep heaven, I was happy about that, and ended up in our freezer. But that was good. <laughs> that was good for us at the time. But uh, so, sh traditionally, shepherding, people are with their sheep 24-7. They're with the sheep when they're born as little lambs. They care for them when they get up on their feet. They protect them from the animals and wolves. They know their sheep personally. Being a shepherd in this time is a good thing about even love and affection for your animals because you're with them so much that they've become a part of your family. Even in those days, sometimes they even come into your house. So when you hear this shepherd... It's a positive thing. We're going to go back to an Old Testament prophet called Isaiah, where he was describing this image of God. 
to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 10, where he says, See, the sovereign Lord, Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. So he's big and he's strong, he has all authority, and he's coming with gifts for his people. Then he goes on in verse 11, He tends his flock like a shepherd, and the people are his flock. He gathers the lambs in his arms and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. So we get these two pictures, one the big and the strong, but yet gentle, particularly with those fragile, those vulnerable, and he holds them. It's a bit like the picture, every now and again you see a picture of a dad that's a bit of a bodybuilder and he's got the guns out, the big muscles. He goes, this, this guy is a strong, beefy guy and he's holding their newborn baby and they're just so small and fragile and nothing. And you kind of think, how can somebody so big and strong and powerful be so gentle with this little child? It's that sort of image that God is a God with all power and authority. That's clear. But he's also a God of gentleness that can hold the lambs close to his chest in his big arms that he uses to um, show his strength. This is the image of God. It's a great picture of that. Now, you would expect the Old Testament believers then would enjoy that image. So if you're an Old Testament believer, you're a Jew living in Jerusalem, uh, if you want to draw near to this God, you go to Jerusalem. In fact, every year you are called, if you're a leader of a household or the whole household would sometimes come, to Jerusalem where the temple was and as you got closer to Jerusalem you'd get this sort of image uh, of course it's in ruins and rebuilt several times from here but Jerusalem's on the top of a hill so you walk up this hill and you see that the walls of the uh, temple area are so imposing on you you see the greatness through the architecture you go through the gates into the court and you see the architecture of the temple itself and it's got bits of gold and fine timber there as well. It's just impressive. As you go in there, uh, there's a part of the priesthood that's designated just to play music the whole time. So you hear this music and praise worship being played as you go in and they burn incense the whole time. So you get this beautiful sweet smell of everything around. So it's meant to be this really positive it's so different to the rest of the world when you go to the temple and then a priest would come up to you, invite you forward and you would come up to the altar. If you want to draw near to God, you can't draw near to somebody if you hold resentment or um, haven't been forgiven of stuff that you've done. So you've got to confess your sins before the priest. So before the priest and you've brought your little sacrifice along, um, you confess your sins. Lord, I'm sorry that I've done this and this and don't live your way. Uh, you come clean with God. And then the priest would kill your sacrifice saying, look, it's died for your sin. Now, go in peace. You are forgiven. And through that experience, you, you draw near to God. You feel his grace. You feel his generosity. You feel his his love and compassion that he's gentle with you and you walk away from that going I know I'm accepted I'm loved by drawing near to God at that time but this wasn't always their experience their experience was a bit like I'm going to show you a few verses from Ezekiel another prophet that talks about this is God's voice to the priests the priests who are running the show they're called shepherds as well they're like God's shepherds 
Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Do not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourself with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, or healed the sick, or bound the injured. You have not brought back the strays, or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. This is a classic case of power and authority being corrupt, isn't it? It's all about them and themselves and the little guy. We're not going to be gentle with the little guy. It's all about us. We don't care who we tread on on the way through. And this is what most people have experienced in the Old Testament. The priesthood is not a fun experience going to the temple because of what the priests are doing. There's no gentleness, no care. And they do it all in the name of God. Yes, they're appointed by God. We're his shepherds. Come to us, they would say. Now, if we ever thought that uh, corruption in the church or abuse in the church was a new thing, no, it's been going on for generations, centuries, even before Jesus. People in positions of power and authority taking advantage of others. And I can understand, I hope you appreciate, when people say, if that's what the church is about, I don't think I want anything to do with that God, if that's a representation of him. But this is all before Jesus even come into the world. This is the confusion about what gentleness really... If God is so gentle, why aren't we seeing it? Why aren't we experiencing it? This is the backdrop to what Jesus walked into when Jesus entered the world. Jesus coming to the world, first century, Roman Empire, temple in practice... And Jesus comes along and he starts teaching and he uses words like this. We'll pick it up in John, uh, John 10, the reading we had before. When Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he's talking to a crowd of people. What do you think the people are going to think of? Oh, thankfully, a good shepherd. We've had all these dodgy ones. Finally, a good shepherd has come along. We're willing to follow you, willing to listen to you, willing to trust you. Oh, they're going, we've heard this before. We've seen this before. These shepherds of God, they come along, they suck us in, they, they abuse us and take everything. Why should we trust you? Why should we follow you? What makes Jesus any different to what they've already had? Jesus goes on to explain this in three parts in this same, uh, this same teaching point. He says, The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep, goes on to explain the hired hand is not the shepherd and does not uh, does not own the sheep so when he sees the wolf coming he abandons the sheep and runs away then the wolf attacks the flock uh, attacks the flock and scatters it the man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing about the sheep now this is not a surprise like if you get told in your workplace you work hard for your boss uh, but it's not worth giving your life for your job's not worth sacrificing your life and that's the job of the shepherd. If you're a hired hand, I'm here to do it. But I want to go home at the end of the day. But Jesus says, no, no, I am the good shepherd. Actually, I will lay down my life for the sheep. I will defend them so that they might live, so that they're not scattered. This is radical. Because the priests at the temple, it's all about them. They don't care if the sheep are abused or scattered or lose their faith or anything like that. Jesus is spelling out that he will, he will do this. So, 
if we jump forward a little bit, you go, these are just empty words, again, that he's telling his people. They sound nice, but how does this play out? And it's not until he does give his life that he gets led to the cross. He gets killed for his people to save his sheep. So the reason why Jesus went to the cross was to save people from sin and death. So he takes their sin and dies for it. He beats death by rising from the dead. Jesus defeats the wolf, you might say, defeats evil so that his sheep, us, can live. Jesus actually backs up his words. He says it. He will lay down his life for his sheep. Why would he do Who does that? Who is so committed they'll give themselves totally for someone else? He goes on to explain. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. He says, I have this special connection, this relationship that's going on. He goes on, just as the Father knows me, the Father God knows me, and I know the Father and I lay my life down for the sheep. I have other sheep, he goes on to say, it's not just who's he talking about, I have other sheep that's not of this sheep pen, but I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. There's this special connection. If you think about that, like the priests in the temple, they didn't care. There was no relationship between them and their people. Jesus comes along and says, no, no, there is a connection. As the Father God knows me, I know you. If you think about that, the f- Jesus was around before the creation of the world. Before then, there's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. The three, the three persons uh, we we try to explain it, three persons, but one God. Why do we call them one God? Because they're perfect in love, perfect in unity, and perfect in vision. Like their their oneness is because of their relationship and connectedness with each other. For Jesus to say, I know you like I know the Father, and the Father knows me, that's next level. It's not just you're random. I love you, I care for you. I want to be united with you that way as well. That's why he does it. So he lays his life down for the sheep. He knows them, knows them personally, intimately. The third thing he says, the reason my father loves me is that I lay lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay down my own, on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up. So is Jesus weak when he went to the cross? Like, was in the wrong place at the wrong time, caught up with the Romans, a bad governor. No, he chose to go to the cross. He had authority, all power and authority. In Colossians, it says Jesus not only created the world, it was made for him, by him, through him and for him. It's like all this belongs to Jesus. It comes from Jesus, it's for Jesus. He has all power and authority, but chooses to lay it down it's not a sign of weakness it's a sign that he can he chooses to give up his his rights for the sake of others it's this whole picture of the the bodybuilder he's he's strong he's got the mighty arm but in that mighty arm he carries the fragile little the little lamb he carries us who are vulnerable who are weak this is the beautiful picture of gentleness When we think of God, is God gentle? We need to look at Jesus and not only how Jesus talked it and explained it, but how he lived it out, that he would lay his life down going to the cross. 
that he would know his sheep personally and that he has authority to lay his life down to do it. And we see it how he does it, not just th this little bit about um, who's in his pen and who's out of his pen thing. He doesn't do it just for the good people. He doesn't do it just for the religious people. He does it for all people that he goes out. And we see that in play when Jesus doesn't just hang out with the religious leaders, he goes to sinners. He goes to the tax collectors, the cheats. He goes to the sex workers. He goes out into the streets, hangs out with those people. He lived out what he said. We can see how Jesus was loving and gentle with sinners time and time again. Have you experienced this sort of gentleness from God? from Jesus in your life. See, some churches are really good at exercising their authority. They get the authority bit and the church is, is in this position of having some authority, but they love the authority. And it usually comes across with a preacher walking around yelling with, a, with an old King James Bible, yelling out lots of rules, you must, you must not, you must do it our way, you can't do it any other way. And if you fail, well, you need to try harder. You need to get up, pick yourself up, you need to be the person. They blame, they, they dump lots of load on us, just like the priests would back in Jesus' days. It's not about loving people and being gentle, it's being harsh, laying burdens down. Sometimes churches can be good at the authority bit and not good at the gentleness bit. That's why we need to go back to Jesus. Because churches often get it wrong, and we might have got it wrong. That if this is your experience and you can relate to some of the stuff I'm saying, I'm sorry that that's your experience. That that's tainted your idea of God and maybe tainted your relationship with God and even left you scars in the past. But it's not how Jesus is. It's not how Jesus calls us to be. If we want to see the gentleness of Jesus, there's just one more passage I want to go to that explains... Um, what he's talking about is from Matthew 11 from verse 28 where he calls people to come to him all you who are weary and burdened and I'll give you rest it's almost that the image of the shepherd going to the ones who have left the pen they've gone wandering astray in the wilderness and he's saying come to me weary and burdened I'll give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The idea of this yoke thing is what they used to put around animals when they, uh, like horses and bull bullocks, uh, when they would pull a cart, you put a yoke on around their neck to pull things. And sometimes if they loaded up the cart too much, you, you could actually kill the animal because they just can't do it. But that's what the religious leaders were doing in that day. Jesus says, well, my yoke is light. My yoke can give you rest. And it's... It's interesting to, to use this yoke phrase because it's not, I give you, uh, take up my mattress and pillow. It's not just sleep it off and you'll feel better tomorrow. It's actually a light yoke that gives you freedom, that gives you joy to be pulling because you're yoked with Jesus. See, I know uh, from personal experience the joy that it is when you get freed, you get lifted, this yoke, when Jesus comes along and says, you don't have to carry that burden anymore, let me take it off you and you can live with joy through knowing Jesus. 
See, I, the household I grew up into, you might call, was religious. And what that did for me, or at least the way I interpreted it, is I had to perform, I had to do better to impress God, be the good religious kid. And when I understood the cross, and when I understood what Jesus did for me, and that actually I can't carry that burden, I can't deal with my own sin, I can't do enough to impress God. When Jesus comes along and says, I've got this, I've done it through the cross, the joy that that should bring us, Jesus has done this. Jesus, gives, Jesus carries that burden. Jesus gives rest for my soul and my yoke is now easy and light. Jesus is not going to burden us. That's the difference of finding the gentleness of Jesus rather than looking at how we might perceive it through institutions like the church or other organisations. He's taking that beautiful picture of Jesus' gentleness and actually applying it to our lives in everyday stuff. So when we talk about it and think about it, we know Jesus, that's what Jesus is offering to us. He knows you and he's calling you to that. Have you experienced the gentleness of Jesus, coming to him, confessing all those things that they used to do in the temple, coming to him, confessing to him, I can't do this, I keep stuffing up, I keep doing the wrong thing. I know I can't impress you. And then Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. That's great joy. That's great gentleness from God. He could be harsh with us. Do better. You need to perform. You need to get to here. But he doesn't. Your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. That's the beautiful picture of the gentleness that Jesus offers. But we've also got this challenge of gentleness throughout this whole fruit of the Spirit. We're going, okay, this teaches us about God, but what does this teach us about ourselves? How can we show that God is in us, that we have the fruit of the Spirit in us, that we, we are gentle with others? If you've got uh, the growth group notes, the book that was handed out at the start of the term, there's an exercise in this week with a whole bunch of questions that helps us think through how are we being gentle with others around us. A whole bunch of questions to help us self-reflect. And that's, you know, not too hard because I'm pretty gentle on myself. I cut myself a bit of slack. But what about, there's a second part to it, ask somebody near to you to fill it out in regards to how you come across to them. How do they see your gentleness or experience the gentleness? That bit's a bit more scary. You might have a conversation asking them to be a bit gentle with you in that exercise. But it's helpful to know, well, actually, am I gentle with others? Because here's the problem we often have, is that sometimes we are not gentle with others. And it's because we want to exercise our power and authority. We see it in others. We don't like it in others. But often we do the same thing. And I know you're thinking, well, hang on a minute. Well, I'm not in a position of power and authority. I'm bottom of the food chain. You're not talking to me about being harsh with others. Actually, you can be just as harsh or more harsh with others, even with no power or authority, because we want power and authority. We want to come up the pecking order. So how do we improve that? How do we get more power, more authority? We push others down. We are harsh with others. We're short with others. We've got to win the fight, win the argument. We've got to be right all the time because 
I want to be that impressive one with power and authority and it doesn't matter if I'm harsh with others around us. But what does it look like then to have gentleness come into that, that place? And it could be the workplace, it could be school, it could be in our homes, it could be in our families, it could be parents to children or children to parents. We're all fighting for this power and authority. It's just always there. How do we bring gentleness into those situations in our lives around us? If we're going to grow in gentleness, we need to know that it's okay not to be right all the time. See, Jesus could have stood up for his rights. He didn't deserve death. He was innocent. But yet he gave up his rights to build up others, to save others. That's gentleness. We shouldn't have to make others feel bad or force them, in a sense, to get back into our good books because we hold a grudge against them. Because if Jesus did that to us, we would never have a look in to Jesus. But if we actually go, you know what? It's history, it's past. We're not going to play that game. We have patience with each other and gentleness. What would it look like for you to be strong enough to hold others in your arm around you. It's a bit of a weird thought, but this, the bodybuilder and the baby image or the shepherd and the lamb image, what would it look like for you to show your strength but to be expressed not by being harsh to others around you but to show your strength in the way you nurture others, to pick them up, to be gentle with them, protect them, to restore them. What does it look like for you to do that with the people around you? What would it look like for a church to be practising that? To be strong, but show the strength by being gentle to others. I know it's, it's nice to have one or two people around who are really good at that sort of stuff. Can you imagine how the whole church does it? How different that would be from the rest of the world. That they would come in and go, there's something different going on here. This whole thing of power and authority, but with gentleness. I see that, I experience that. And I can see it's from God because it's not from anywhere else. This is the challenge for us. We experience from God, but how about we take a close look at our own lives? Whether it's at home, work, school, in church, that we, act, that we practice acts of gentleness around us as a sign of strength, like Jesus' strength. This is a big challenge. I've been thinking about this for, you know, most of this week now, and just, you know, this actually changes the way you think. So I encourage you to think about this. Pray to God, actually make me more of a gentle person. Help me see your gentleness. Maybe that's a good prayer for us as a starting point, and then look for opportunities to act out on it. Let me pray for us now, that God will work in our hearts. Let's pray. Dear Father God, we just thank you for your love for us, that even though we are like sheep, sometimes we kick and bite and carry on, Sometimes we wander away from you, far from you. But yet your love for us keeps pursuing us, keeps dragging us back. Lord, I thank you that you are a good shepherd, one that's gentle with us, one that holds us and comforts us when we're battered and bruised. You protect us and restore us and give us life. Lord, we rejoice in that fact. But Lord, we come before you saying, Help us to be the people you want us to be, that we are shepherds to the world around us, that in our strength, in our confidence, in being restored, 
that we can show that strength in being gentle to others, that we lift them up, that we restore them. Lord, help us glorify you in this process because it's not from us, it's from Jesus. We pray that you'd shine in our lives and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.